This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. In every organization, there are impact players, those indispensable team members that you can count on when the stakes are high. And while others do their job, impact players find out the real job to be done. Whether they're on center stage or behind the scene, leaders know who these top players are, understand their worth, and want more of them on their team. But while their impact is obvious, it's not always clear what actually makes these contributors different from their peers. In today's episode, we're talking to someone who invested her career in studying leadership, and in the process, she became curious about the teams that we lead. She began researching top contributors to understand what are those things? What are the most influential players doing differently? And how is their mindset potentially available to everyone who wants to contribute at the highest level? What's special about today's episode is that this is the first part of a two-part conversation that we're continuing at this year's goal-setting retreat for couples and individuals on November 13th and 14th. Our guest today, she's a speaker also at the retreat, and she'll share how the strategies, mindset, and approach to achieving more in our professional lives also applies to our personal goals. So listen closely for how to identify impact players at work, and then join us to talk about being an impact player in your whole life. With that, let's get into this conversation with best-selling author of one of my favorite leadership books, Multipliers, as she shares about her new research and book called Impact Players, how to take the lead, play bigger, and multiply your impact. I feel really fortunate because I get the opportunity to work with so many amazing people in our community and our customers and get to be a part of their world. And they trust me with being a part of their goals. And more often than not, almost everyone is focused on health. And at the core of that is diet and eating a balanced diet. But eating this kind of diet, it's a huge time commitment and it's easy to get knocked off track. That's why it's so great to have a solution when you don't have the time to do the prepping and the cooking and the cleanup, but you still wanna eat healthy. That's why we partner with Factor, and Factor is chef-created, dietitian approved meals that are ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, there's no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. The variety of different options and meals that they have is really impressive, but go see for yourself. Head to factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150 to get 50% off. That's code 150 at factormeals.com slash 150 to get 50% off. Here's our conversation with Liz Wiseman. Welcome, everyone. I'm excited to have this conversation today with somebody who I personally enjoy the heck out of. Uh, She is a brilliant woman who has taken some very powerful ideas and been able to share them in such simple ways to help you become a better leader. I first came across her first book called Multipliers, which is a bestseller. It's one of the top books that I recommend to other leaders who want to grow their influence. And today, we're going to have a conversation about her upcoming book called Impact Players. Liz Wiseman, welcome. Well, it's good to be here. You know I love talking to you about leadership, life, everything. So I'm excited. I want to know... Multipliers, well, for people who are, have not read Multipliers, give us the high level of what that book is about. Well, Multipliers is a look at how a leader's own capability and intelligence affects others. And it looks at the leader's ability to either amplify or diminish the capability and intelligence of others, meaning we're not 
smart all the time in that we're smarter and more capable around certain people than others. So a leader can actually either be a multiplier to the team or they can have a diminishing effect on their team. And the multiplier is the leader who tends to use their own intelligence in a way that brings out intelligence and ideas and capability. You know, people step up around them, they take ownership, they do their best work versus the diminisher who may be really smart and capable, but no one around them is getting to be smart and capable. Or people tend to hold back and play it safe. They tend to be able to give a fraction of their capability. And and that's really the difference between these two very different ways of leading. And there's also this dynamic I found in the research is that most of the diminishing is coming from people with really great intentions. And I call them the accidental diminisher. Doing all the things that seem like good leadership, but it's actually having a diminishing effect on the people they lead. And as deeply as the like tyrannical, narcissistic, bully kind of leader. So that's it in a nutshell. So interesting was, I remember thinking, oh, you're a multiplier or you're a diminisher. And what I realized as I did my own introspection is there are some places in my life where I have multiplying tendencies and there are some times where I accidentally diminish. You're actually a little bit of both. Yeah. And it could be that some people tend to bring out your multiplier side. And there could be some people who kind of bait your diminishing tendencies, or there could be certain situations or times in the quarter, like when revenue is tight and you know a, a business quarter is closing, that we might sort of slip into some diminisher habits. And it really is all about habit, which is, I think, one of the reasons why our work kind of fits together so nicely. So after Multipliers comes out, it's a massive success. What was the moment when you realized you needed to start focusing on the next thing, which was impact players? So that moment came after a, kind of a slow build and then a bit of an epiphany. And the slow build is as I'm out there teaching people how to be the kind of leaders who bring out the best in others, you know, where people are able to give all of their capability and their ideas and really like have a positive impact in their work. And I'm out teaching and preaching what is a leader's role. I'm realizing that the leader can do all the right things, but if they don't have a team that steps into that space, you're not going to be able to get people's full capability. Then I'm also starting to realize that as I'm studying leadership, I'm learning actually more about contributorship. And here's the thing that I've learned. If you know, Jeff, if I've if I've learned one thing that I'm absolutely positively certain about, everything else I'm you know, like, mm, it may be like this, but this is the thing I know for certain is that people come to work every day wanting to contribute everything they have. Because I've talked to so many people who were stuck under diminishing leaders. And when you ask people like, well, what percentage of your capability did you want to give? 100%. How much were you able to give? I don't know, 30, 40, 50. And like what happens in that space? You know, resentment starts to breed, disillusionment, mediocrity, but people want to give 100%. So I'm seeing that, okay, There's a leader's role, but there's also the contributor's role. And people want to contribute and they want to make an impact in their work. 
that's the slow build. Then there's this moment and I'm up, I, I'm in San Francisco and I think it was Salesforce, but I'm not entirely sure. And, you know, we're doing this multi-powers workshops all going well. And then this one guy makes a comment and he's like, yeah, this is great. Like I'm sold, but he said, you can't multiply zero. And I'm like, well, that seems a little um, pessimistic. It's like, what is he saying about his team? Is he saying, I lead a bunch of dummies, a bunch of zeros. I'm like, that's rude. And that's probably not true. But then he goes to explain it. And, and he's saying like, yeah, there's things that I can do. But if other people aren't bringing the right mindsets and practices and habits, I can't do much with that. Mm-hmm. And so... What first was, I thought, a snarky kind of rude comment actually turned into a question for me. Like, what is on the other side of that coin? Like, if leaders need certain mindsets and habits and they get full contribution, what are the mindsets and habits of the people who are able to contribute fully? And what are like the small differences and how people think and work that actually make an extraordinary difference in the results they get and also the meaning and satisfaction they get out of their work. And I'm like, "Mm, there's a story there and I want to know what that looks like. Before we dive into how you went down that path in the research, define for us, what is an impact player? So let's start with sports. So the impact player, you know, the concept from the sports world is it someone who plays well, plays big, like makes important plays. So they bring their talent and they play it well, but they play in a way that the whole team plays better. That's really the impact player. Like they're they're on the field when good things happen and they make things happen, but they're also team players. And We see that same dynamic in the workplace where these are individuals who everyone comes to depend on. They're people you can count on in clutch situations. They're people who make the whole team better. And they both bring their own contribution and they play it well and valuably. Like they know how to make themselves valuable, but the team becomes more valuable with them, with them on it. You know, they're, they're, they're making impacts. So I'm hearing it's not just about them being a star performer in their role. They also, from a, for, from a performer standpoint, they become a multiplier of the team because with them on the team, there's a compound effect where the team is actually able to do more. It's absolutely true. And, you know, there's a part in this research and I'm writing, I'm like, yeah, like, what, how do, what's the name for that kind of effect that they have on the team? <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, it's like they they like become multipliers. And I'm like, dang it. Like somebody already wrote that book. And but they do <laughs> and I was mad at her, you know? And there is this like multiplier effect is that people play better around them. And and they do have this sort of contagious way of thinking. But here's the Walk thing. Us through from the moment where you start asking the question to how did you search for the answer? What did the research look like along the way? Mm. So the research, it was in some ways absolutely symmetrical to what I did with multipliers. When I wanted to understand what the best leaders did, I didn't go, I didn't decide who the best leaders were. And I didn't ask the leaders what they did. I went to the people who are 
the recipients of their leadership, the contributors, and ask them to tell me about their leaders. I did something very similar. So we went out to, we established nine research partners, nine great organizations. And we asked each of these nine organizations to give us like 25 great managers. And then my team and I interviewed them. It was 170 managers. I think I interviewed about 80 of them personally. And we asked them to identify three types of contributors on their team. The first is uh, the impact player. Like, tell me about someone who is smart, talented, and hardworking, who is making an enormously positive impact, like doing extraordinarily valuable work. And then the next category was, tell me about someone who is smart, talented, and capable, who's doing great work. Like, you know, you'd you'd love to have 10 of these people on your team. They're super solid. They're not average. They're great. And then tell me about someone who is smart, talented, and hardworking, but who isn't, isn't hitting the mark, who's underperforming relative to their capability. So I think that the essence of the research is we're pulling from a pool of really smart, capable people and, and asking, what's the difference between them? And then we're asking like, well, tell me about this person. Why did you put them in this category? What do they do that nobody else does? What do they not do that other people tend to do? Um, how do they think about their role? What are the assumptions that they seem to hold about their work? And how would you assess the value of the contribution they bring? And and that was kind of building that profile. And then the one um, additional thing I added to the research, because I just have to, like, I think this process of inquiry is so fun, is I just asked every manager, what do people on your team do that you absolutely hate? Like, what makes you crazy? Like, your pet peeves, and they're like, I don't have any. I'm like, yeah, you do. And they're like, okay, yeah, I guess I do have a few. And then like, like there's a list that gets unloaded there. And people are like, oh, I feel better after that. And I'm like, by the way, have you ever mentioned any of that to the people on your team? Well, no, not really. Like, maybe you should. Then I asked them, tell me what people do that you work with that you absolutely love, that makes being a leader easy, joyful, fulfilling, you know, uh, get you the right kind of results. And then we gave each one of those managers a survey with lots of behaviors, like what do each kind of person do? And and based on that quantitative and qualitative research, I was able to build a profile of like, what are the differentiators between these types of contributors? What'd you learn that surprised you? Okay, here's the first thing that really shocked me. So we're asking about like, who is your top contributor? And these are people um, that the managers say, like bring 10x the value of equally smart, talented people who are under contributing or just missing the mark. And, you know, through almost four times the value than people who are doing a great job. I would have expected these folks to maybe look a little bit like prima donnas, like superstars. And what I found is 170 of these people, not a single one of them is a prima donna. Not a single one. I was just blown away by this. You know, they're not like, Sheep is like behind the scenes, like, oh, golly shucks. But none of them are self-obsessed. None of them are like driving their personal agenda. There's no bullies. There's no uh, like even bulls in a china shop. 
you know, none of them are people who get the job done, but leave blood on the floor. Like none of them are folks that create these pyrrhic victories where you win, but kind of everyone else loses. And that was a delightful surprise. Hmm. What are the most influential people doing differently? What the most influential people do differently is it begins with how they think and they see their job differently. And in particular, they handle what I call everyday challenges very differently. So you might think that these super influential, impactful people, like they set themselves apart in times of like crisis, like they're heroic, like they step in in these moments. It was actually everyday challenge that they see and and respond to very differently. As I looked at all these scenarios in the data, it became very clear that they handle messy problems differently than others. You know, while others are doing their job, the most influential people do the job that needs to be done. Like, it's not my job, but it's what's important. Mm. And it's the stuff that falls in the white space. You know, the most important problems, certainly from my own experience in the corporate world and running a business myself, is the most important things don't fit nicely into organization boxes. Like it's your job, but not your job. Most of the stuff is out there kind of in no man's land and particularly the stuff that's new. And they go out into that space and they say, I know it's not my job, but it's what's important and I'm going to do that. So they handle these messy problems differently. The second is how they um, deal with just like unclear roles. It's one of these perennial problems in any organization is, well, I know we're supposed to collaborate, but we're not totally clear who's in charge here. So like, could someone clarify what are the roles? Who's really in charge? In that space where it's unclear and we have a leadership vacuum, they very willingly step up and lead and they offer their leadership before they're asked to lead. But what most differentiates them from other people is not that they're willing to lead. It's how easily they they step back and they follow others. The third area that they handle very differently is just unforeseen obstacles. Like you've done your best to plan and then a global pandemic hits, you know, where the market falls apart. And, and while other people tend to take ownership initially, but then when those things happen, they tend to escalate. What the most influential people are doing is they're just maintaining ownership. Like I'm going to see it through till it's done. I can't fix it myself, but I'm going to rally support. But they get things all the way across the finish line without reminder, without nudging, certainly without nagging, is they just get things across the finish line. There's a word that's just in the front of my mind. You said it earlier. You said value. The reason this is standing out to me, uh, my daughter, she's eight years old right now. And for the last, gosh, four years, uh, she's always been super driven. When she was like four or five, she's like, daddy, how do I earn money? And I said, well, by creating value. And she asked, well, how do you create value? I said, solve big problems. So when she was in kindergarten, she told her teachers that she makes money. And her teacher said, well, how do you do that? She goes, I create value. Her teacher goes, how do you create value? She goes, I solve big problems. What kind of problems? I don't know. (laughs) It's exactly right. 
But the reason I'm bringing this up here is you said these impact players, they create value. They don't look at just what's my job description, what's inside my box. They see where there's a problem. They ask the question, how can I solve it? Yes. And to create value and to solve big problems, which is exactly right, you have to know what is it that people value. And, you know, people who are trained in market research, like understand this, like, okay, we need to understand our customer and what's important to them and, and what's valuable to them so we can build products that are valuable. It's essentially applying that same logic to all of our shareholders, which is how do I create value for others? Which sounds so obvious, but almost all of the career advice, success advice that's being dished out is about how do you create value for yourself? Mm -hmm. But you have to know, well, what do people value? What's important to them? And then you have to figure out, well, what are the right problems to solve? Because there's, you know, and it's one of the, I guess, the things I would add that was so surprising in this, the insights in the research is that the people who were under-contributing or just the ordinary contributors were working really hard. They were doing their jobs. They were doing all of the things you would think you're supposed to do. I, I mean, they're pedaling fast. But impact, impact is a, is really a function, not just of force and like speed, you know, how much like effort we put into something. It's also about trajectory and aim. There's a lot of people who are working hard, but have their aim off. They're like all thrusts, no vector. So I want to dive into that a little bit because I'm hearing what you're talking about in terms of the people that were the impact players. They didn't just look at their job description. They tried to create value. They were willing to step up and lead. They were willing to take a seat and be led. Um, it wasn't about them. It was about the team. These all seem like really common things, yet I'm assuming the impact player is the minority. So what's stopping the majority from being that type of person? Mm. You know, if we, when you look at the impediments, um, you know, the, the book is, is, makes reference to these decoys. Like things that seem valuable, but actually aren't valuable. Like it's mm. anti-value and we tend to chase them. But I, I would say kind of stepping back from it, they tend to fall into four categories. Like some people, the impediments to impact, let's assume people are like well-intentioned, working hard, want to make a contribution, which is what I know to be true. There's some people that are, are working hard, but their aim is off. Okay, they're overworking and they cannot figure out why their work is not appreciated. It's like they're perhaps not working on the agenda. And I think it's one of the most important things that you have to figure out. Certainly, if you are a real estate agent, you have to figure out like what's the difference between the buyer's stated agenda and their real agenda. And I don't mean like tricky hidden agendas. Like someone's got a knife behind their back kind of thing. I mean, what we say are our goals versus what really has meaning for us. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of people who are working hard, but they are off agenda. They're not working on what's most important right now. What's the difference between being busy and being productive? Absolutely. 
And if you work in a large organization, this is the skill you have to master. Certainly one of the things that my corporate experience taught me is nobody is going to serve up on a platter to you. Here's our strategic goals. Here's our mission. Like There's a few organizations that make that abundantly clear and keep that timely and fresh. But in most organizations, people have to do some work to figure that out because it's this combination of, well, what's important to the overall organization? What's important to the shareholders? What do all the strategy slides say? What's important to my personal boss? What's important to them professionally? What's important to them personally? And then what's important right now? Meaning like what's popped onto the radar screen that we weren't expecting that never got written down. and like. That collection of what's valued by all the different players is the agenda. And if you can figure that out and then work on that agenda, it makes you incredibly valuable and influential and impactful. Meanwhile, your colleagues over there are like, like, hey, man, I'm just kind of working on my goals or I'm doing my thing, but no one seems to care. I'm curious for for the person who's listening to this and they're going, okay, I need to understand what the vision or the agenda is so that I can align my actions with it. And then they naturally hit a wall, which is how do I figure out what the agenda is? What are these impact players doing? Well, I, here's the things I would pay attention to. What do, you know, start with what is written down and disseminated. That's not a bad start. But that's not the end point. What do people talk about? You know, when I look at the, you know, I've spent my career kind of working with a lot of senior executives and getting access to a lot of executives kind of at a young age. I was like, hmm, I see what's written down. But then what do they actually spend their time talking about? What do they seem to care about? What meetings get scheduled quickly and what meetings get scheduled slowly? You know, what are the stated values, but what are the actual values? In any organization, there's a gap between these two. And, you know, signs that you are working on the agenda. You know what? Do meetings get scheduled quickly? Um, There's always budget available. Like, here's the thing I've noticed working with senior executives. There's always budget available for things they deem important. I've never had a senior executive say, this is really important to me, but I can't find the budget for it. But if you're <laughs> off agenda, like have you ever no. have you ever seen that happen? No. Not in the history of mankind has this happened. Perhaps an exaggeration, but things get funded, meetings get scheduled, people keep the scheduled meetings. Like if your meeting keeps getting postponed, that might be an indication that that is not on the real agenda. Yeah. Um, if you're working on the agenda, you'll feel more pressure. It's more uncomfortable on the real agenda. Like it's easier to kind of work on the periphery. But if you're working on red hot issues, you're going to feel some heat, which is what creates momentum and movement. Mm. But it's amazing what happens when you do. Um, Jeff, can I share two quick, two Please. quick stories? 
One's from my own experience, and then one is just watching someone course correct on this so fast. Um, you know, I think I learned early on in my experience at Oracle, like work on what's important. And, and it came early on in my career where I'm like, I joined the company like gunning, looking for a place where I could maybe teach some management skills and some leadership skills. And I had like my eyes open for this opportunity. And the first time I saw it, I was interviewing um, with the VP of the group. And I was like, you know what? I think Oracle really needs a management bootcamp and I could really help build this. So like, I want to build a management bootcamp and the company needs it. And he's like, Liz, that's great. But your boss has a different problem. See, her her problem is she's got to figure out how to get 2,000 new hires up to speed on Oracle technology in the next year. Like, what would be great is if you could help her solve that problem. Ah, see, your, your daughter would have figured this out sooner than I had figured it out. I was getting to do what I cared about, but I'm like, oh, what Bob just essentially said to me was, he was polite, but he said, you know, Liz, make yourself useful. And here's how you would make yourself useful. I'm like, oh, that's what's important. I'll go work on that. I had no skills, figured out how to do it, actually did it pretty well. And then as I did that, and the more I worked on the agenda, I just kept getting bigger jobs and then more jobs and more jobs. And it wasn't, I never was the most qualified or capable. I think I had a reputation of being willing to work on what was important to the organization and make that my priority. And so I'm now running a lot and having quite a bit of influence in the company. And one of my colleagues from the HR organization, she said, hey, Liz, can I buy you lunch? I need some advice. Like, sure, you can buy me lunch. And I sit down, she says, I've got these new initiatives. They're recruiting initiatives. And she says, I want to make sure I like get them on the executive radar because like I need for them to like sponsor these. And like essentially, I need to get it on their agenda. And she said, Can you help me do that? Like you're a master at this. I'm like, I listened to her. I'm like, mm, I can't help you with that. She's like, What do you mean you can't help me with that? Like, nobody does this better than you. Like, you've got their ear, like, you've got all this influence. Like, and I'm like, no, because I've never, ever done that. I've never done that. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, I don't know that I have ever taken something that was important to me and made it important to them. I said, what I've done is I find out what's important to the people I work with and for, and then I make that important to me. And yeah, maybe over time, I've built up a lot of influence and I get to help set the agenda. I said, but it's a very different mindset. But man, when you work on the agenda, opportunities open, things happen, you build impact. So I want to touch on something because you're you're striking a chord with me. One of the things that we do inside of companies is we help them create their strategic plan. Like based on the goals of the organization, how are you actually going to create clarity and alignment for your organization? We have a one-page business plan framework called a GPS. And every time we facilitate these, undoubtedly, there are the middle managers of the organization who are looking at all the things they think they should be doing. And they naturally want to design a goal that will fit what they think they should be doing. And it's backwards because they're trying to make what they think is important, the goal line up with what they think is important. That's not the way it works. It's what's the goal? What is important to the organization? Fast forward to the end of the year. How will we know if we are successful? Now, based on that vision, what are the things that we have to do? 
How do we line our resources up, i.e. our people, so that the arrows are all pointing it the same direction? It doesn't matter what you've done historically. It matters how can you be a tip of the spear pointing in the same direction. Exactly. And it's like suppressing this desire to be a goal activist, which is I want to make this issue important to everyone. Now, there are some social issues where we should kind of force a few of those in. But here's the thing is all the while that I'm doing this, like, okay, what's important to the senior leaders? Let me let me, let me go after those things. Not like get in a line and not have an opinion. I always had an opinion. In some ways, like that was my what. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be the how. And I'm going to have all sorts of opinions and might be pushy about what is the best way to accomplish that goal. And I might say, no, it's actually, let's do this, not that. But all the while that I'm doing this, two things are happening. Two stories are going on in the back of my head. One is, well, I'm doing a bunch of random stuff. And look at all these people that I graduated from college with, like people who I went to business school with. And they're off in these jobs doing kind of what they've been trained to do. And I'm doing all sorts of things. And I felt like somehow I might be falling behind professionally. And, you know, there I was running the corporate university and a bunch of other things. I'm like, well, they're probably off giving speeches at conferences about how to build a corporate university, but it's empty. Like what I realized is what I was doing by working on the agenda, I was building professional range. And Mm -hmm. actually I was building a kind of influence and impact that, that leapfrogged. Like the ones who are saying, well, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what a good corporate university looks like. I I have a vision and I'm going to force it on the organization. And the executives are always like, I don't really, that doesn't, that suit doesn't fit me well. But what we built was actually red hot relevant. But I did have a battle in my head, which is like, am I forsaking sort of my own professional, oh, I don't know, point of view? But man, it built influence. Um, so that's that's one. Let me give you just one other very quick example. And we were doing a workshop, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and we're just sharing a few of these ideas sort of informally. And this idea of like, figure out what the agenda is, figure out where you can help support that and serve that agenda, and then make sure you're working on it. Like align your work to that. And one of the people, he was like, Wow, wow, big epiphany for me. I'm not working on the agenda. And he uh, was a worship leader at a big, uh, like mega church. This was in um, California. And he said, you know, I send it. So he's, you know, he's talented. He's hardworking. He does his job well. He cares. He keeps his leaders informed. He said, my emails to the senior pastor, like crickets. I get nothing back. And so I said, here. Find out, like, figure, spend some time thinking about what's important to your senior pastor. Make that important to you. And then in those emails, why don't you just tell them two things? One, here's what I understand to be the most important work of the organization. And two, here's how I'm working on what's most important. Just do those two things. He writes back, he's like, (laughs) he goes, "Uh, my emails are getting answers and they're getting more than answers. Like, I'm getting, uh, support, guidance, recognition, feedback, attaboy. Like the reaction was so different. And think about that 
senior pastor who gets to see each week, like, wow, the person who's working on this area of our church really understands what we are trying to do. He understands it deeply and he is part of that mission. How good do I feel about his contribution? Something that's just at the front of my mind right now, Liz, is with this belief that all leadership begins with self-leadership. I can imagine the person who's listening to this and thinking, I'm not clear what's important to the organization. I'm not clear what's important to my boss. If you are wondering that question, I will ask you a question. What's the one thing you can do to figure it out? And it starts, this is, this is what the one thing is all about. Asking questions and searching for the answers. Ask them. Fast forward to the end of the year. What does success look like for our team? What are the two to three things that if we just accomplished those things this year would make the biggest impact for the team or the organization? What can I be doing differently to play a bigger role toward those priorities? Imagine if you were the leader and one of your people came to you and said, I've realized I'm not actually clear on what's important to the team. What does success look like at the end of the year? What are the two to three things that if we just did those, it would be the majority of the success? What can I be doing differently to play a bigger role? What would you think? What would you think, Liz? You've been an executive. Oh, yeah. When people understand what is important to you, you just like hallelujah choruses go off inside your head. And it is, it's asking. So there's a hard, there's a harder way to do this and the easier way. I always find the easier way to do these kinds of things. Like the hard way is to like pour through documents, like do a frequency count on the kind of number of words used in their email, like to like really divine what it is that is important to them. The easier way is to ask. But like everything, the quality of your question, you know, will will determine the quality of your understanding of this. So like, if you just say, well, what's important to you? Or like, you know, what's, what's on your agenda? Uh, I don't know. Like, let me look at my calendar. So if you have to ask interesting questions, like you, a lot of times people say, Hey, what can I take off your plate? Uh, I don't know. Like that's actually not the agenda. That's the non-agenda. No, that's um, you giving them a job. Yeah. Like, okay, now you just burdened me because now I have to find a project for you. But if you ask, what are you spending your time on right now? Like, where is most of your energy going? And you know, you could also ask the, the cliche, like, what's keeping you up at night? It's a cliche. I would say, you know, where, where are you putting your most energy? Like, are, you know, what are, what's the most important thing that you're worried isn't happening? Like, that's a more interesting question. But you want people to tell you, like, what's really the tip of their arrow. But once you know it, and then you look for all the indications, resources flow, momentum happens, you're hitting milestones way faster, you're feeling pressure, but you're excited. You're like not exhausted, you're exhilarated. That's how you know you're on the agenda. Yeah. I know you in the book talk about the idea that an impact player is not someone that is born. It's mm. something that is developed. It's something that's cultivated, which is amazing news because wherever you are on the spectrum right now, as you listen to this, means you have the opportunity to become an impact player. What can somebody do to go on that journey? Well, there, there are five 
practices that really differentiate them. And I, I think I mentioned the first three, like the impact player does the job that's needed while other people do their job. You know, the impact player, when roles are unclear, they step up and lead, but they also step back and follow with equal ease while other people are seeking role clarification. You know, the impact players are getting it across the finish line while other people are escalating. The fourth is how they respond to like moving targets. And I know there's so much energy around goals and getting the right kind of goals. Here's an interesting nuance. Most people, like solid, everyday, ordinary contributors are focused on their goals. What impact players do is a little bit different. What they are doing is they are keeping their goals relevant. Hmm. When, you know, when the environment is shifting, their energy is not around, I'm locked on to target because the target just moved. Like, I don't know. I don't know that I've been in any project in the last five years where at the end of the project, we were doing the same thing that when we started, like we're always adjusting. What they're doing is they're asking and adjusting. They're assuming that they're off target and they're continually calibrating to stay on target. They're like the violinist who starts by tuning their instrument. So they're, they're adapting as the environment is changing to keep, to make sure they're after the right goal, the thing that is important right now. I mean, and so they're not like, hey, I did my thing, give me feedback, you know, pat on the back. It's what can I do to improve this? Like, am I working on the right things? Is they're asking and they're adjusting to stay relevant. Because that's impact. Like you hit the wrong target, it's not impact. It's an accident. Two years ago. Jay and I were speaking at a corporate event and we were taking a walk in the morning. I remember he looked at me and said, Jeff, the world doesn't need a new way to set goals. They need a way to have a relationship with them. Just like when you met your husband, Liz, it's first date, he didn't just get down on one knee and say, will you marry me? Correct? Yeah, definitely not. It was five years. <laughs> five years, four and a half years. You guys started to go on dates. And in between dates, you communicated. And when you weren't communicating, you were thinking about each other. And as things went well, you raised your expectations of what the relationship could become. And when there was conflict, you figured out, how do I need to change my actions? It's the same thing with our goals. And I personally have never stepped foot in a company where they set the goals and priorities for the year and they were etched in stone and they didn't change. They're all always changing, but it's about what's important in the moment and how do we align our focus with it. And you know, you bring up like relationships and spousal kind of relationships. Like very few of those go the distance on the relationship that you had at the time you met. Like people change and evolve. And what happens if you don't evolve together? Well, you end up pulling apart. And so it's like, how do you? continually evolve to figure out like what's important to this relationship, what's important to me. It's like, it's this constant recalibration that is what creates this kind of impact and and influence. The last one is when there's just more work than any one person can do. Like, and who isn't permanently in that environment? You know, messy problems, unclear roles, you know, unforeseen obstacles, moving targets, like, Unrelenting work, like these are the everyday problems that you're going to have, whether you work at Keller Williams, whether you work at Oracle, Google, 
They're everywhere. And impact players see them differently. Um, when there's unrelenting demands, most people try to carry their weight, whereas the impact players make work lighter for other people. And they do that by being easy to work with and just creating ease around them, like levity, fun, lightness. They, they can't take the work from other people, but they cannot create extra work. Mm-hmm. And they can make the workload just feel lighter by, you know, being, what did you say? Delightful. The party everywhere. <laughs> You're like, well, I'm not party in the back business in front. You're like, I'm party everywhere. That's right. People like to work with fun people. So, okay. So what can people do right away? If like there is, I know this is the one thing. So if, if there is one thing that I think everyone can do, I'll, I'll do something I think is simpler and one that is a little bit more challenging. You pick your one. Find out what's important to the people you work for and make it important to you. Uh, one of my favorite professors, he told a story in college when I was in one of his classes and he had spent the summer going from ballpark to ballpark across the United States to take his teenage son to every major league um, ballpark. And he was telling one of his you know, professor friends that he had done this. And they said, Bar, I didn't know that you liked baseball that much. And he said, I don't, but I love my son that much. And I just think it's one of the most beautiful examples of like, find out what is important to other people and make it important to you. I think it's something that we can all do. We can do it in our work relationships. We can do it in our home relationships. I think everyone can do that. Here's the biggie. The real biggie is the thing that most differentiated impact players from ordinary hardworking contributors is that they look at all this messy stuff, unclear roles, messy problems, demands, moving targets, all of that ambiguity and uncertainty that we're all dealing with. They look at that not as a problem to avoid. They look at it as an opportunity to create value. They work with opportunity goggles. And goggles is kind of, I think, a befitting metaphor in that, like, I don't normally look at ambiguity and uncertainty and go, yay, I really love working when things are totally unclear and messy and chaotic and I can't figure out what's going on. Like, I don't like it. But when, you know, sort of like I put on those goggles, I can look at it and say, you know what? I don't like it, but I can create value from that. Nobody knows who's in charge. This is a chance to provide leadership. Things are constantly moving. Well, you know what? This is a chance to change our practice and be more relevant. Unforeseen obstacles, like no one could have planned for this. That's inconvenient, but actually it's a chance to do things the way I've always wanted to do it. Like now I have to deal with this unknown. Like everyone will forgive me if I say, you know what? I'm just going to like bust straight through this brick wall and get this done because nobody could have planned for it. Like it's a chance to create value and certainty out of that chaos. So, boy, if you want one powerful thing to do is look at all of these annoyances and say, how do I create value for others and myself? Instead of seeing it through a threat lens, how do I see it through an opportunity lens? Love that. 
Liz, where can people learn more about you and Impact Players? People can learn more about Impact Players from uh, the book's website, impactplayersbook.com. It's pretty easy to find. And I think there's information about the book in the various retailers. And about me, I'm pretty easy to find too, but the Wiseman Group is where you'll find me and my people, my professional, you know, tribe. Perfect. Well, I appreciate the time, Liz. Thank you so much. There you have it. Our conversation with best-selling author and guest speaker at this year's goal-setting retreat, Liz Wiseman. What I appreciate about this conversation is that Liz, she challenges us to think differently about the people we lead so we can help any team member contribute at their fullest. Because when we do that, it raises the bar and the level of play for everyone on the team. And I love the way she talks about multiplying your impact because that word, that phrase, it truly illustrates the ripple effect of how small and seemingly insignificant differences in how we think and act can make an enormous impact in the results we get in our personal and professional lives. If this conversation has brought value to you, I want you to take the next step and join us for this year's goal-setting retreat on November 13th and 14th. When you join us, you will get to hear the rest of our conversation with Liz, as well as define your core values, think big about what you want your life to look like someday from now, set goals that align with what matters most to you, and create a simple plan to achieve them. It is two days that can change the trajectory of your life. You can join us in person or attend virtually online, and the retreat will be recorded so you can get access to those replays through the end of the year. Join us by visiting theonething.com slash setmygoals. That's with the number one in the URL, theonething.com slash setmygoals. If this episode has brought value to you, who's someone you know or care about that would benefit from listening to it? Would you share it with them? And if you are that person, welcome to The One Thing Podcast. Click the subscribe button so that all future episodes will be automatically downloaded to your device. And for all of you, please consider leaving us a rating or review on your podcast player of choice as it helps us reach far more people. Thanks so much for listening to The One Thing Podcast. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.